Welcome to Pushing Forward with Alicia, a podcast that gives disability a voice. Each week, we will explore topics like confidence, ambition, resilience, and finding success against all odds. We are creating a collective community that believes that all things are possible for all people. Open hearts, clear paths, let's go. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia Anderson, and today's guest is powerful. He is someone who embodies what this podcast is about. We have Des Dalbarba with us today. He is 26 years old. He is a military veteran. He is a survivor of military medical malpractice that occurred while he was serving in the army during basic training. His story is unbelievable. He overcame a life-threatening infection that required him to have 43 surgeries and he had to fight for his life. And here he is, and he's accomplished so much. And he's a badass wheelchair tennis player and athlete, which I we're going to dive into as well. That's how we met. Des, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Can you tell us a little bit about who you are? whatever you're comfortable with sharing. Yeah. So um, I'm 26 years old. I'm born and raised in Stockton, California. Um, I graduated from Sonoma State University with my bachelor's in uh, business management. Um, And uh, I enlisted in the U.S. Army um, trying to get into the officer candidate program to go to officer candidate school. But yeah, my the disease I got while in uh, basic training was uh, called necrotizing fasciitis, and I got it from strep A being mis uh, misdiagnosed and not treated correctly. Strep uh, A meaning strep throat. Yeah, strep throat. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. Go ahead. Um. So. Went to Fort Benning, Georgia. Um, That's where I was stationed during basic. Um, During uh, week five of basic training, I started feeling like sore throat coming on, basically. And uh, a lot of uh, my peers around me, you know, they're feeling the same way and stuff. So uh, I requested to go to, it's yet to request while you're in training to go to the medical center. It's called sick call. So you have to request to go to sick call and then they'll get you a bus and take you over there since it's like about a mile and a half, two miles down the road. So the first day that I requested to go to sick call, it got denied because our drill sergeants didn't, uh, they were late to, you know, letting us out of our company. So we missed the bus and we didn't get to go on the bus to go there. So second day um, requested again. And I got to get seen by the athletic trainer. So Monday happened, didn't get to go see anybody because the drill sergeants messed up their logistics or whatever. Um, So I got missed the bus, didn't get to go. Tuesday, made sure that we would get on that bus and go see the medical staff. So I went to go see the athletic trainer, got in. uh, He basically told me that I was sore from running, you know, in the combat boots all day and stuff, you know, basic training, you do a lot of physical activity. Uh, We climb up walls, jump down, 
things and I mean, do all sorts of obstacle courses and stuff like that. So uh, Wednesday, I requested to go to sit call again, but this time was for my throat. Um, I got seen by a doctor who basically swabbed me for strep A and there's two types of strep A. So one, uh, the results can come back rapidly, like within 10, 15 minutes. The other one takes 48 hours to get a result back. So she swabbed me for both. Um, the rapid one came back negative and then she just gave me throat lozenges for the time being to, uh, help with the throat pain. Um, and she told me that she would contact my drill sergeants when the results for the 48 hour test came back. So Thursday I kept doing training and as, as the week progresses, by the way, the pain keeps get, going up more and more for me. Um, it keeps increasing. Um, Friday. I go to the athletic trainer again. Leg pain is going through the roof. He gives me ibuprofens and stuff like that. Friday night, my throat uh, test comes back um, that she swabbed me for, and it comes back positive. They don't notify the trainees at all. What they, what the medical staff does is they notify the drill sergeants. So she sent my drill sergeants a note saying that Del Barba positive for strep A notify immediately and send to medical center to get penicillin shot. And we have like the notes and everything of them sending that. So it's like, it's all like documented and stuff. No drill sergeant told me, I don't know if they missed it. I don't know if they just didn't care or I don't know if they were like, oh, we'll tell them Saturday, or next day or whatever. Saturday, I end up going to the ER because I'm feeling horrible um, I can't, I can barely walk, you know, everything. My throat feels like sharp blades when I swallow. I can barely eat. And when I get there, uh, they take my vitals, which are, again, documented and through the roof. Um, they uh, check out my legs, which are very swollen. Um, again, Friday evening, she sent, you know, my drill sergeant that was positive. So Saturday, when I go to the ER, it's all documented. It should be in it should be in the system that I'm positive for strep A. The ER doctor came in, clocked in, said I was fine, literally again documented the time he was in with me. It was two minutes and like 15 seconds. He came in, said I was fine, gave me more throat lozenges and sent me back to the barracks. Sunday was the next day, and Sundays in basic training are like uh they're for basically quote unquote rest days where you clean the barracks and you can go to church or the mosque or whatever your religious preference is. Um, so Sunday I rested and I was feeling horrible. I couldn't move. Sunday night, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't use the restroom. I couldn't even pee. Um, like everything was not going well. I was sweating. I fell off my bed. One of my battle buddies, because during the nighttime, you have something called Firewatch. So they ran to go get a drill sergeant took about 10, 15 minutes. They couldn't find one, waited another two hours, three hours until they could find one. Drill sergeant finally came down. Uh, then they took me to the ER again. And then when I got to the ER, you know, legs are swollen. This doctor noticed something was wrong. And um, they sent me to off base to a civilian hospital called Piedmont, which is just around the corner from Fort Benning. And those civilian doctors noticed something was very wrong and uh, something was bad. 
uh, I remember him taking a scalpel and like cutting a little piece of my ankle just like, and like, it was just like purple blood. Like the blood was not red. It was like purple, like black, like it was like infected. And then next thing I know, they put that mask over me to put me out. And then I wake up in Fort Sam Houston, Texas, um, had my left leg amputated above the knee. I had major debridements on my right leg all the way up to my underarms um, and my glute. Um, so they debrided muscle tissue and everything that was infected by the flesh eating disease. They debrided um, off. Um, so I had a lot of wound backs and IVs in me and stuff. Um, and uh, at that point, I was not skin grafted yet, but I obviously was going to have to get skin grafted. So since my legs were all debrided and that's what got hit first, um, they had to skin graft my chest and back because that was the only good skin I had on my body besides my neck and face. Uh, yeah, it's spread over 55% of my body. So 55% of my body is skin grafted. And when they called my parents to tell them what had happened, they told them to make their phone calls to the rest of my family because they said there's a 10% chance that he will live and the other percent chance that he's not going to make it. They thought they were going to have to amputate all four of my limbs. I am very grateful that it was only one. Uh, so it was very intense and very bad, dark memories. But I'm glad to be s sitting here with you today to tell the story and to raise awareness for uh, what had happened. So I am so glad that you are too. And that statement that you just made, I am so glad that they only had to amputate one limb. That statement alone is shocking. What I heard you also say was that this was almost like, it sounds like an outbreak of strep in the barracks. And this was a problem there that was not addressed. And I feel like we hear a lot about military service injuries and the things that happen to people um, while in service, but we don't hear a whole lot about malpractice. How common is this? Like, so yeah, um, usually when you think of like, you know, injuries in the military, they're from combat or deployments, you know, um, and the medical malpractice within the military is actually more common than you would think. It's just doesn't get the media attention when it does happen. Because I would say, I don't know the exact statistic, but I would say 90% of the time when there is malpractice in the military, that soldier, Marine, airman, they die. So it's just like this airman, soldier, Marine died while in training, you know, and that that's all that gets said, really. There's no, there's no really more detail, you know, like what happened with me for surviving. Now all the details are out and everything's getting uncovered. Um, I personally have met with numerous families that have dealt with medical malpractice either their son, daughter, or husband, wife. And like I said, 90% of the them that I meet, their loved ones are dead. Um, they're gone. So I don't know the exact statistics, but it is very common. And it's something that I advocated for on Capitol Hill, testifying in front of the Armed Service Committee for uh, 
the subcommittee of Congress. So in front of Congress members on that committee, um, it was for quality assurance in the military medical. So basically, they asked me to come testify, tell my story, my personal experience with it. That way, these you know members of Congress that write the laws and can help make efforts to change it hear, you know, the wrongdoings of you know what's going on at a lot of military hospitals. And I know that we've talked about this and I don't know that I'm going to use the right word. So maybe you can help me through it. But I know that you had told me while you were telling me about your incredible story when we met on the tennis court, that when you're signing up to the military, there's rules or something that you're not allowed to claim malpractice. And I know you're working through the HERO Act, or can you talk a little bit about some of the legislation that you're advocating for that's so powerful to change this. So hopefully other service members are going to be safer from these horrific events that you had to live through. Yeah. Let's just say this happened while in a civilian setting, right? Like this, what happened to me, I have the right to sue basically the hospital staff, go to court, and get recourse, I guess, for what the hospital staff, you know, their mess up, there would be disciplinary actions on them, probably get fired, probably lose their license. So in the military, we don't have that. It's called the Ferris Doctrine. So it protects the hospitals, it protects the medical contractors, it protects the surgeons, the nurses, military members, uniform members, soldiers, Marines, airmen, sailors, they cannot sue the government for any malpractice claims that happen to them uh, while they are under contract. So that is something else I'm fighting for, me and my family are fighting for, um, is to give the opportunity to service members to have their chance at recourse. If in court, it's found that there was malpractice that happened, you know, if obviously the military is, you can get injured in a whole different amount of ways. So yeah, there's those gray areas, but in certain cases like mine and a lot of other people that I've met, it's right there in black and blue ink that this was malpractice and anywhere else it would have gone to court and et cetera. That's basically it. So it's called the Ferris Doctrine protects the government from being sued by active duty military members. And the Heroes Act is basically a proposed act that we're trying to have Congress members pass and it will allow service members to get that day in court against the government. I can't believe that these things aren't in place, to be honest with you. You're listening to Pushing Forward with Alicia and we will be right back. If you're an employer looking to motivate and inspire your team through the power of diversity and inclusion and learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace and how to include disability into your DEI efforts, please check out my keynote speech offerings on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O.com. Click on speaking. Welcome back to Pushing Forward with Alicia. I'm Alicia Anderson, and we have Des Dalbarba with us today. He is a survivor of military medical malpractice that occurred while he was serving in the army during basic training. So this work that you're doing is powerful. How can we as citizens of the United States advocate for these things to be changed? I'm glad you asked that because right now is the perfect time to to have, you know, all of you assistants help advocate for this. 
the ruling has just opened up to the public for public annotation and comments. Um, so basically, you write to your local Congress member and you could write to their office and say, we support everything that it stands for. And as U.S. citizens, we would like this passed for our service members protection. If medical malpractice was to happen during their career to them, and that's as simple as that. Thank you for sharing that whole story. I know that that's tough. I know it was really difficult. If anybody's interested in reading more about Des's story specifically, start to finish, it's on his website. And we're going to leave all of that information in the show notes. And you need to go and look, like, look at his pictures. He has been through a lot. Okay. I want to, I'm going to shift. Okay. Did we miss anything before I shift? Because this was a very important topic. I might have missed some stuff in detail, but I mean, to the listeners, like Alicia said, like, you can just look up my name on Google and there will be my testimony. There will be articles written about what had happened, etc. I do want to note, though, during the time that had happened to me, um, it was an outbreak in Fort Benning. I had a battle buddy in the same company as me. He passed away from necrotizing fasciitis. Um, he uh, basically had a heart attack. From it. I think his body just shut down. But yeah, he passed away. And this happened three weeks before my case happened. And after my case happened, Fort Benning ordered uh, $1.4 million worth of penicillin shots to administer to the whole battalion. So yeah, that's the only thing I think that I missed. Yeah. We're talking about a penicillin shot. We're talking about he needed antibiotics in time. So yeah. infection didn't take over his body. That is a basic miss. And that is... Horrific. And not to mention, he left behind his wife, who was pregnant as well. So when you are done listening to this, go and email your congressman. And um, thank you for sharing that journey, Des. I know it's not easy. And can we talk about something that I think is so sweet and positive? Yeah. Okay. You and your parents have created an organization called Operation Des Strong. You're providing support to children specifically that have had an amputation of any kind. Is that true? Yes, that's true. So basically when my injury happened, I guess I call it injury or accident. I was in the ICU um, and I was getting a lot of mail, just support mail. My story had made pretty big media headlines and stuff. And during that time, uh, Katie Perez, who's the mom of Jonathan Perez, she saw my story and she reached out to my parents saying, hey, my son also had necrotizing fasciitis through strep A and my son also had his leg amputated above the knee. Crazy thing about Jonathan though is Jonathan was four years old when it happened to him. So Jonathan reached out to me with some support mail and during this time I'm in the ICU bed. I am, can't even move. I have to get fed through a tube. And he sends me um, a letter saying that, you know, one day we will both have robot legs and we can hang out. And uh, just then I, I researched his story and stuff and I saw everything he had been through. Same thing that happened to me. And it just gave me that motivation and inspiration that I'm not alone. If this four-year-old boy can do it, then I can too. So that was a little good moment right there. And we kept in contact with the family from then on. You know, I'm recovering. I'm going through everything. When I come back to California, fast forward two years later, we're still in contact with the family and Katie is always mentioning stuff on Facebook about 
insurance things because Jonathan is a little boy and he's growing and his insurance isn't covering all his prosthetic needs. You know, he needs a new socket because he's getting bigger and everything like that. So just kind of idea popped in my head like, hey, like maybe we should start something that helps kids like Jonathan that have amputations because not all insurance is going to cover stuff like that. And maybe these families don't even have insurance to help cover it. So it's like having a prosthetic for amputees, it changes your whole world. Like you can now walk and you can kneel down and get up and you can move, you can walk around. I mean, you're not confined to a wheelchair as much. You can be independent. Yeah, you can be independent. Yeah. Quick note on that, that I think is so important is to understand like the same thing as a problem for kids that have disabilities and are in wheelchairs, they grow and insurance only allows you to have, say, a new wheelchair every five years or every six years. Do you know how much growth happens in young kids? And so that's the same thing with prosthetics. And it's so important what you're doing. Okay, so then we connected with Katie and shot out the idea and she was all on board. So we started a 501c3 nonprofit called Operation Death Strong. And basically the mission of it is to help kids under the age of 18 that have amputations with their prosthetic needs, with creating them ADA showers, getting them wheelchairs if they needed, giving them stipends to go play like wheelchair sports, like, you know, whatever, just just support and financial and emotional assistance for them and their families to still have a good quality life. And that's basically it. And I mean, at, we started it in 2021, December. I think we're helping like at least, I want to say 10 to 15 kids. They're all amazing. And I know they're all super inspirational. It's so important. And, you know, I've met how I've met your parents are so amazing. They're just like the best advocates ever. Their voices are loud and proud for yeah. this advocacy work and which is what is needed for you and in the military, but and also for this organization and for the kids. And so like, this is an organization that I want to support ongoing always. I think it's so beautiful. It's so powerful. And I love that it came from this beautiful note that is also on your website that people need yeah. to go and see. It's like this little boy drew a picture and it's just encouraging Des, telling him that it's going to be okay. I went through this. You're going to be okay too. And it's so beautiful. It's giving me the chills right now. I love it. Okay. So you mentioned sports. Your injury was in 2019. Des, he is such an amazing athlete for only being in this community for a a really a short time. He is so good at tennis. And I know you play other sports. I want to hear what it's meant to you to find community within our community, within sports, within activity, within something that makes you feel good and powerful. You know, it's so weird. Okay. So December, 2022, end of 2022 time, you know, I was on TikTok and I think I saw like some wheelchair players playing wheelchair tennis at the US Open. And I believe I saw one that he had an amputation and then it just kind of, I was just like, whoa, that is so freaking cool. I was like, I didn't even know this sport existed. And to be at the level of a US Open, like that is, that's pretty awesome. It's like, I want to try this. Like, I just, I want to try this sport. I, I've never played tennis before, but I was like, this is so cool. Like just why I literally watched the whole match and I was like, this is awesome. Uh, reached out to, I forgot who it was at USTA NorCal, but they connected me with Marty, who's Alicia's husband. And he's also a wheelchair tennis player. 
And then me and Marty met up in Roseville tennis courts one day, and he's been teaching me ever since. And then one day he was helping me fix my wheelchair that I'm a loner wheelchair I got from the city of Sacramento. And Alicia came out in the garage and me and Alicia met and then we started talking. And then now I'm blessed with both of these two amazing people in my life. But that's basically how I met Alicia and Marty. You are so good at the sport in one year. You're definitely going to the US Open. Paralympics, here you come. (laughs) That would be the dream. And that's a big goal right there. So since Marty's been teaching me and, you know, giving me pointers, I've been playing all year. I've been doing tournaments all year. I've been to Baton Rouge. I've been to Grand Rapids, Michigan. I've been to Dallas. I've been to Salem, Oregon. I've been to, and I am going to Atlanta next week. I'm proud to say that I actually won two tournaments already this year. So I'm only, you know, getting better. I just, I'm super excited to see where the sport can take me. What has that brought to your life to have these kinds of goals, hobbies, aspirations? It's completely changed my life because before I was working the sales job and I was just like, it was fine. I feel like, I mean, I'm gonna get pretty deep now, but at the end of 2022, when, you know, I started seeing wheelchair tennis, I kind of realized like what had happened to me happened for a reason. And I believe that now. And I'm glad I believe that now. I believe that I have a bigger purpose than just working a sales job and playing video games. So I'm glad I leaped into something to try it. And I think I I believe in myself that like, you know, if, if I work hard, then I can actually succeed in the sport. But I mean, not only that, like the joy the sport brings me, it's like the people I've met, like you and Marty, but I've made like so many close friends just from seeing them once a month at a tournament. Um, And then we live in different states, but we still stay connected. And it's just so awesome. It's a community where there's people that are just like me and we have a great time and we play an awesome sport and it's just, it's cool. Yeah. We support each other and that feels good sometimes when you're living a life with a disability and you just feel like you're the only one. So I, I love that. And you're just such a bright light in the sport. And I'm so proud of like how well, I can't wait to see you in LA at the Paralympics or something, you know, like goals, let's make it happen. Did we miss anything that we should talk about? Do you feel good? Did we cover everything? I feel good. So I like to end the show with a pushing forward moment, a little inspiration or advice that you could give to our listeners. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, it's hard when you're in that moment, let's say you're in the ICU bed and you don't see any light, but it just takes one step at a time and each day take another step and from there, and you might take three steps back, but then it's all about taking another step forward. And then in one year, fast forward, two years, fast forward, you'll look back and you'll be like, I can't believe how far I made it. And it's just all about taking that little step every day. I guess that's some little advice right there. Even if you take a couple steps back, you got to keep moving forward. I love it. Des, thank you so much for sharing your story and being vulnerable. I know that this stuff is really personal and we're educating our audience on so many things. And congratulations on being such an amazing, sweet human being. I'm so glad you're in our lives. 
thank you for your time and your friendship, which is going to continue to grow. I know it. Yeah. And thank you to our Pushing Forward community who continues to show up for us every week. Thank you for subscribing. Please review. And every time you show up for us, we're, our audience is growing and our platform is growing. So I'm so grateful. Until next time, Des, this is Pushing Forward with Alicia. And that is how you and I roll. If you're an employer looking to motivate and inspire your team through the power of diversity and inclusion and learn more about disability inclusion in the workplace and how to include disability into your DEI efforts, please check out my keynote speech offerings on aliciaanderson.com. That's A-L-Y-C-I-A Anderson with an O dot com. Click on speaking.